The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Uh, good to see you this morning. Good to see such a good group here. And again, uh, welcome to the visitors and uh, to those that are now or will be watching online as well. Welcome to chapel on this Friday at Cairn University. As Dean Swift said, it's a, it's a beautiful day, I would say to the visitors. Uh, it's always like this in February here, uh, but that would be lying. Uh, so uh, it is a beautiful day. And uh, students, we've been telling you for a while, uh, we, we pray for you year round. We pray doubly hard in February. We know that while it's the shortest month, it's often the most challenging. So let me encourage you with the mild weather uh, to take advantage, get outside in the sunshine every time it's there. Go out and enjoy it. It's good for you physically. It's good for you emotionally. It's good for you spiritually. Uh, take advantage of the weather this weekend and, and get outside uh, for some time to be refreshed uh, by the sunshine. <clears throat> uh, also, just a couple of things, uh, words of encouragement uh, to you as a student body. Uh, as uh, Dean Swift prayed for the tragedy in Turkey and Syria, we have some friends that are involved there uh, and uh, some friends of the university that are carrying out ministry there. It's been encouraging to watch you as students uh, rally around that issue to organize prayer times. I would encourage you to continue to do so. We thank the Lord for that kind of sensitivity to needs and suffering around the world, and uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And a little bit closer to home, I want to just say, um, some of you... Uh, know my better half, Mrs. Williams. She's around once in a while. Uh, she teaches a ladies' Bible study here on campus on Thursday morning. And the last few weeks, stories have been wending their way back to me uh, about your kindnesses to those ladies. In fact, I received word that some of you actually sat and had lunch with them the other week. Uh, they have not stopped talking about it. Uh, every time I bump into one of them, I hear about how great the students are and how welcome they feel and how blessed they are to be here, even though they feel like they're in your way, you go out of your way to tell them that you're glad they're here. So we thank the Lord for that kind of ministry of hospitality to uh, the, the local community as well. And so um, we thank you for that. This morning, I want to continue uh, this spring series on uh, the wisdom of the intentional life, some practical lessons from the book of Proverbs. And last time uh, that we were together, I, uh, I laid some lightweight stuff on us about the sluggard, right? Um, and uh, the importance of avoiding, uh, I, I think it's a word we're making up, sluggardliness. Uh, the idea that we are to be vigilant and diligent in the way we live. That we should be careful not to fall into patterns of laziness or indolence, inactivity. Not being willing to do the things that must be done. This idea that we would actually find ourselves not being willing to tend to the fields and to the walls and to the work that is set before us and the danger that that is for you as an individual and for us as a community. We talked about that passage in Proverbs where uh, the wise man says, I passed by the field of the sluggard and I learned, and uh, that's important. Today, I uh, want to continue along those veins with uh, the other side of the coin, as it were. I want to talk about uh, another fun one, self-control. The book of Proverbs is full of exhortations about the importance of self-control. And I want to actually fix our attention on one particular verse at the end of Proverbs 25. And then I want to make some, uh, draw some observations from that and uh, things that I think we should be thinking about. And then what are some of the implications for the way we live out the gospel 
and how we actually begin to exercise an increasing degree of self-control, why that matters and, and how it can be done. So we're going to focus on the last verse of Proverbs chapter 25, if you want to turn there. But the passage that was read for us at the beginning is this idea that, that there is value to wisdom. And I just want to sort of reintroduce this idea to you, that you start thinking about wisdom in the proper way that it is about skillfully living. It's about navigating life in this world. It's not attaining wisdom so that you can sit in judgment for people to bring you their problems and conundrums. Wisdom is actually supposed to impact the way you think and live, the judgments you make, the actions you carry out, the words you speak. Wisdom is a, is a vibrant thing that should change the way you live. It should change the way you think about things. It should, be, it should be rooted in this fear and reverence of God. And it should be something that we desire to get. The passage that was read from chapter 2. You should want this thing because it's highly valuable. It's valuable to you and it's valuable to all of us in community. I've shared this several times and I've been encouraged by some of you who are undertaking this and I would, I would actually challenge you, encourage you, exhort you. It doesn't take that long to read a, Proverbs of, a chapter of Proverbs a day. I think if you read a chapter of Proverbs a day in addition to your other readings, you will constantly be reminded of these ideas. Some of them are, are little vignettes and some of them are sort of one verse that focuses on something followed by another verse that has nothing to do with the verse in front of it. It's proverbial. It's part of those Old Testament poetics books. It's meant to sort of be saturated by. So if you read it on a regular basis, you can't help but have those things seep into your thinking. But also, it calls to mind things that you need to pay attention to in your own life. In fact, every time I read, the book of Pro read from the book of Proverbs, which is almost every day uh, for almost 40 years... I find myself having at least a little moment where I say, ugh. There's something, I've been doing it a long time, and yet there's always something that leaves me thinking I should be paying more attention to this particular aspect of my life. I should be thinking more clearly about the way I approach this particular problem or this particular situation, this particular person, this particular relationship. The book of Proverbs has a way of doing that. And so I would encourage you, even exhort you, to make it part of your regular rotation. Begin to be saturated by this book. You'll find yourself calling to mind things that, that in, a, in a particular situation, right? There's one that I learned a long, long, long time ago. Reprove a wise man and he will hear you. Reprove a fool and he will hate you can't tell you how many times that, I, I, that, I, that I've thought on that. And I used to think about it this way. I will only spend my time reproving wise men. And actually, what it's done in the last 25 or 30 years is confront me about how I respond to reproof, whether I be wise or a fool. But if the verse isn't in there, good luck. Because all you will do is respond in the immediate emotional reaction that you're prone to and inclined to or feel the circumstances are different. You won't actually have it in there to stop you and say, reproving a wise man, a wise man listens, a fool hates you for it. Right? Let those words sink into you so that it's part of the way you walk through this life. In fact, our tagline of walk a different path is actually drawn from that 
passage, those passages in, in Ephesians where it talks about how the Christian is to walk. And one of them is to walk as wise, not as unwise. So last time I called your attention to this very practical thing that we need to be doing the things that must be done or it will be for our ruin. In fact, the sluggard decides that sleep and slumber and folding of the hands is more important than tending to his farm, and he is ruined by it. Poverty descends upon him like a thief in the night. He's undone by it. And the, and the, the wise man says, don't let that happen to you. Do what must be done. Tend to the thickets. Tend to the fields. Tend to the walls. Don't let them be neglected, or you will pay a price. And we talked about that. Do you want to be Someone who is constantly facing those kinds of circumstances and consequences solely because of your unwillingness to work. Well, today what I want to do is take the other side of it, this issue of self-control. It's, not the, it's the flip side of the sluggard who won't do what needs to be done. It's us doing things that are not good for us. Acting on impulse and appetite. Look at this. In Proverbs chapter 25, and verse 28, it's a proverb of Solomon. He says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, the thing that you need to remember is that in antiquity, cities had walls, and it wasn't to keep people in. It was to keep people out. They were there for your protection. Remember in the Old Testament, when, when there are these struggles, and they have to, what, what does the prophet say? Build the wall in front of your own house. That's good for the rest of the city. Take care of the wall in front of your house, and, and that's how we'll hold the enemy off. The, these ideas of walls and cities are important, and that what, the, what, what Solomon says here to his children is, those person who doesn't have self-control, it's like a city whose walls have been broken into and have fallen down. In other words, you will be overrun by the thing you cannot say no to. It will undo you. A besieged cities whose walls are breached is conquered, is devastated, is flattened. That's what happens. And so the wise father is saying to his children, hey, don't be a person who doesn't have self-control, because if you don't have self-control, this is what happens. It will undo you. Now, this is a biblical reference, but the Bible uh, is not the only thing that speaks of wisdom, and it's not the only thing that speaks of self-control. I think that it's pretty well established if you go and look for quotes or you read other literature or you look at other philosophers, you'll find things about wisdom and you'll find things about self-control. One of my favorite quotes regarding self-control is from a man who actually did not exhibit much of it in the course of his lifetime. Benjamin Franklin was not exactly uh, the, uh, the bastion of self-control. He was a man of appetites. He is not a spiritual model for us. If you read his autobiography, you will find all kinds of problems with his outlook on religion and faith and truth. But he did understand that the lack of self-control isn't just a problem for us. It's a problem for all of us. In fact, what he says is this, educate your children to self-control to the habit of holding passion and prejudice and evil tendencies subject to an upright and reasoning will. And you have done much to abolish misery from their future and crimes from society. The idea is that, that Franklin recognized if we don't teach our children to be restrained, to have self-control, to check their impulses with some form of higher reasoning, it will undo them and it will ruin all of us. Now, that truth is only more amplified when we find it in the pages of Scripture. 
Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of true wisdom, and the following after God to walk as wise and not as unwise requires us to be diligent and vigilant, not just in doing the things that need to be done, but in being careful not to indulge in the things that should not be done. In this verse, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Just stop for a minute to think about that. A lot of times I think we, we think about these principles, these qualities, these, these character virtues that we find in Scripture, and we think, okay, well, you know, self-control, I get it. It's not the most fun thing there is to think about. Because self-control means you will say no to something, something that you want, something that you enjoy, something that the world says you should enjoy, something that your friends say you should enjoy. But the issue here is that you would actually think about the decisions you're making with the way you spend your time and energy, for the, with, for the, that you would think about the things that you set your hand to, the things that you take up, the things that you, that you, that you make a priority in your life. The idea here is that you would have self-control and be careful. So you think about this, what does the culture say about this idea of self-control, and has the thinking about self-control crept into your understanding of it, and also the degree to which you value it? But hear what the scripture says, the wise father Solomon, who himself makes a few mistakes. It's the beautiful thing about the scripture, it does not paint over the flaws of the people whose lives it tells us about. If you look at everybody from from, from Moses to David to the disciples, you will find flawed human beings. Solomon is not perfect. What he is saying, though, is children, listen. Self-control should be something that you desire, but understand the absence of it is to your detriment. We have a choice to make as people who hold to the Scripture and follow God. Do you take that exhortation seriously? Well, what's he talking about? Well, interestingly enough, this passage, this verse man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls, we tend to think, okay, well, you know, that's pretty, I mean, that's a geopolitical military kind of illustration, isn't it? It's got heavy weight to it. It's, it's, it seems big. Okay, well, I'll have self-control to protect the livelihood of my family. But it's the verse right above it that actually gives us some insight. It's not good to eat too much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. He's actually talking about something as, as abstract and as, and as arrogant as seeking your own glory and eating too much honey. In fact, earlier, it, just in a few passages earlier, he says what? Be careful not to eat too much honey. It'll make you vomit. That's a lot of honey. That's a lot of honey. Why would you say that? Because people do that. They can't stop. They, they get something in their system that tastes good. They want more of it. And they just keep going and going and going. And eventually, they're led to this less than dignified human activity of regurgitation. And so the exhortation is that. But also, don't seek your own glory. Be very careful not to go too far. We know that that's what he's getting at here because in, in chapter 23, he says this in verse 13, my son, eat honey for it is good. Well, which is it? Eat honey for it is good or don't eat honey because it will make you sick. You know what the difference is. You don't have to have completed your studies here to know what it is. Eating it is good. Eating too much is not. There is an aspect of self-control that is about temperance, 
going to the right length and no farther. That's a very important idea to get. The idea here is you should eat honey. It's good for you. Do the things that are good for you. But be very careful not to overindulge. Because if you overindulge, it will be a problem. That's the honey part. But this seeking your own glory part, that's not go to the right length. That's actually a prohibition. Don't do that. Don't eat too much honey and don't seek your own glory. This idea of self-control has both of those things in it. Going to the right length and no farther and also abstaining from the things that you should abstain from. You follow? That's a very important thing to remember when you're thinking about biblical self-control. There are things in your life that are fine as long as they do not master you. There are other things in your life that people will tell you are fine and you should run away. In fact, in the New Testament, we see these exhortations, you should flee immorality. There's no part of it that falls into the honey categorization of not eating too much. Be careful, not too much immorality. That's not the teaching of the scripture. Run away. Run away. Run away. Ice cream, go easy. Wisdom is knowing the difference between those two things. And it is foolishness to think that everything should be partaken of. It's also foolish to think that you can go to whatever length you want and it will not harm you. Think about this. This is the issue. Self-control. It's a bit imposing, isn't it? You think... Well, here we go again with another one of these imposing biblical truths of self-control. All it is doing is restricting my freedom. I would like to be free to do what I want to the extent that I want, whenever I want. Now, we're going to look at a passage at the end of the message that actually has us check, should check us a little bit on that. But the other part of it is, you are not free when you do that. You are enslaved to the thing that you cannot stop partaking of. You're not free when you, when you uh, say, I'm not going to be imposed upon or repressed by the prohibition of eating too much honey. You're not free when you shuck, shuck that and shed that and go down your own path. You're actually enslaved to honey. You actually become someone who can't say no to it, and it is your master. And the wisdom here is that there is true freedom in wisdom because you are being discerning. And you are avoiding the things you should avoid and tempering the things that should be tempered. It's an important lesson. It's important because it's not just in chapter 25 and verse 28. You read the book of Proverbs and you'll find this theme recurring over and over and over and over again. Be careful. Be wise. Don't go too far. In fact, what the, what the father says at one point is, do not be given to drunkenness and gluttony. In fact, avoid drunkards and gluttons because they are your ruination because in those two things is a lack of self-control that will destroy everything in its path. It is unrestrained appetite. Now, Proverbs is using things that appeal and would speak to the lives of the people who are there, but I would challenge you, this doesn't mean if you are not given to gluttony and you are not given to drunkenness that you are in the clear. What are the things in your life that you are saying, I should be permitted to indulge in them to the degree that I want whenever I want? Who are the people? What are the relationships? What are the ideas? What's the music? What games? 
what social media outlets, what screens, what books, what images, what sounds, what things have become your master because you don't think that you should have to exercise self-control with them. What hobbies, what interests, what sports, what forms of entertainment. All of those things are things over which we should exercise self-control. The problem is we live in a culture that says this, I can't help myself. I can't help it. I can't help myself. That's a lie, brothers and sisters. That's a lie. That's waving the white flag. There will come a point where you can't help yourself, but you can stop it before you get there. If you're living wisely and you're thinking with discernment and you're being concerned about the exercise of self-control, it is possible for you not to fall in to that victimization idea that I just can't help myself. I am, I am addicted to this screen. I can't live without it. I have no self-control when it comes to this. Put it away. Give it to someone else. Talk to someone who will hold you accountable. You, you do not have to say, I cannot help myself. This is the way it is. For the rest of my life, I will be a sidewalk zombie. No. There are serious things that people need help with. But the issue is, are you taking responsibility for self-control before you get to that point? We say everything in the culture says, do what you want. Don't let anyone tell you you can't do what you want to the extent that you want, whenever you want. That's not, that's not living wisely. It's not biblical. In fact, it's not Christian. It's easy to think about it this way and say, well, here we go the, the, again with the conflict between what the Scripture is calling us to and exhorting us to and the truths that are revealed there and the wisdom that we find there. It's in conflict with the culture which is seeping into our own values and judgments. It isn't just about saying you should enjoy this. It's actually saying don't worry about self-control. That's an antiquated notion that your grandparents followed. It's really not for you, but it will be like a city whose walls are breached if you are not careful. But there's something more impactful when we think about this. Self-control isn't just something that Solomon said to his children, you should, you should practice this and it will be for your benefit. Self-control is actually a fruit of the Spirit. And for those of us who have put our faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ, there is something to living the crucified life that we, that we do not succumb to the passions and appetites of our flesh, but rather bring them into submission to the Spirit and the Word. That our faith actually leads us to want to live obedient, faithful, wise lives. The Apostle Paul says this to the Galatians. He warns them about all these things. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, and now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, enmity strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those, thing, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a pretty interesting list, isn't it? It's got some pretty scandalous things on there. Words that are not easy to read or to hear. It also includes things like this. Fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, 
envy. Those things are indulging the flesh. And it's easy to practice them without self-control. The Proverbs are full of exhortations to guard your tongue, to watch what you say, to say good things that build up and bring healing, and to not say things that tear down. The Proverbs are full of that. They're full of how we should talk and how we should think and how we should treat one another. And on this side of the Old Testament, as we read this epistle to these legalizing Galatians, Paul's saying you're not under the law, but you should not be given to these things. In fact, what he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and here it is, self-control. Against such things there's no law. This is to be the mark of the Christian. Then he says this in chapter 5, verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Brothers and sisters, I love being in church and singing about the, the resurrection. That song that we just sang this morning, he's laying in the grave, and then on the third day he rises. I hear you. I can hear, the, I can hear the goosebumps building from the back of the room. Right? How great that is. The theological truth that our salvation is secured for us in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And we should be celebrating that and singing that at the top of our lungs. That should move us in a powerful way. But it also has implications for this. As a Christian who lives following the crucified and risen Savior, we crucify the flesh and live the resurrected life of the Spirit. Self-control is not just an antiquated character quality that's outdated and countercultural. It is rooted in the gospel itself. We die to ourselves, we die to our flesh. In exercising self-control that is rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ, you will be living a wise life. Your walls will be intact and the city will be secure. But if you disregard it, ruin comes to you and all those around you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us. We thank you for the days that you give us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to know you and to be known by you. And we ask this day that you would be at work in us that you would use your spirit to, you, to, to accomplish the purposes of your word, to convict us, to instruct us, to strengthen us. We pray that you would strengthen us in our faith, that you would give us grace, that you would lead us to a desire to want to walk wisely, that you would keep us from the sins of the sluggard and from the sins of the man lacking self-control. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Have a great weekend.